live. I, oh, no, we're I'm live not. now. We're live. <laughs> <laughs> live direct. Whatever has to be said, it's it's all good. Um, so no, um, I was saying that we are going to be talking today about suicide and depression, and I I feel like it's a relevant topic now I'm with here. everything. Um, with everything that's going on right now and I think one of the reasons why I decided I wanted to do it was um, a couple of things that happened this week um, was with the Tamar Braxton case where she tried to commit suicide and um, with Nick Cannon as well Uh, he's been going through his own little drama I mean besides that I know on a, on a larger scale, there's so many people that's being affected mentally by, you know, COVID-19, yeah, being able be, um, having to stay home and not being able to see your family is one thing. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement that's going on, it's just a lot of things. And I know, like, there's some people who probably, like, relish in staying home because they don't like people. <laughs> um, but then there are those social butterflies, too, you know. Like, I, I want to go see my mom. I want to go see my sister and it's hard because I can't travel to Canada. It's hard for people who has family in different countries, especially Europe and stuff like that. They can't go home. And, you know, eventually that's going to, you know, have a toll on you mentally. So, you know, yeah, those things kind of, you know, the Tony Braxton uh, sister, Tamar Braxton and Nick Cannon kind of brought that to the forefront for me a little bit to just like, you know, because, I remember initially when I said it to someone, oh, did you know that Tamar Braxton tried to commit suicide? And they were like, why? (laughs) Because we have this idea that, you know, celebrities are, you know, they're well put together. They have money and they're, you know, have all the resources that they need and they're humans too, you know what I'm saying? And I think one of the things is like, I feel like um, suicide and depression is looked at as a bad thing. Um, And I guess for me, like personally, like I think like, yeah, you don't want your family member or your friends to be going through that, but it's not something that you can look at them and judge them for. Or you shouldn't look at them and judge them for because it's not like they want to be. And when people take their life, you're like, their lives are like, well, they were weak and they weren't strong enough. And I don't think that's true. You know what I'm saying? Like, I honestly feel like they, they're struggling and sometimes they are, they don't know how to, to communicate that to their loved ones. And um, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Cynthia is because she actually did have a friend who committed suicide. And she went through that phase of blaming herself. Um, like, because she's, Cynthia's, one of the reasons I wanted her, she's one of those people who, like, during COVID, she was going to help people do their laundry. Like, she's one of those people who's always helping people. And I think that's why it gets so much, because she's like, I'm always helping everyone, and I didn't see the one person who's closest to me and needed that help. You know what I'm saying? And she she blamed herself for that. And we saw that on Facebook, you know, with our posts and everything. So um, hopefully she'll be able to join us. Um, but if not, um, you know, we can just talk about, you know, just other things. But I wanted to, like, give the floor to you guys so you guys kind of, you know, introduce yourself and just, like, you know, say a little bit to the folks who's, you know, going to be eventually watching this. Mm-hmm. So, ladies first. <laughs> Me. <laughs> so my name is Talia. Um, I am a entrepreneur. I'm a writer and content creator. So I work full time for myself and I work from home. So when everybody was kind of losing it over having to work from home, I was like, oh, welcome. <laughs> welcome to my world. Um, 
but in terms of, I think, why I'm here. So I have quite the cocktail of mental health <laughs> concerns. So I do have depression. I also have generalized anxiety disorder and PTSD. So I am sort of always trying to balance those things out. Um, and the journey to, I think, being at the most stable I've been probably all my life has been a very, very long one. Um, and most recently that has included medication, which I was resistant to for a very long time because I know are, you know, there's this reluctance, especially in the black community to pharmaceuticals and especially around mental health. And so I had a lot of anxiety about taking medication for my anxiety, um, but it is the best decision I have ever made. Um, I can say right now that it's never going to be perfect. I don't know if I'll ever not have these things, um, but I do feel like I have a lot more control that has been really, really liberating. Right. Thank you for that. Mr. Terry. <laughs> uh, so um, for me, my name is Terry Gation. Um, I am an author. I am the founder of True uh, Media Unfiltered, uh, which is a platform as to where we expose, we educate, and we edify those, um, those who are our viewers um, through the contents that, that we bring to be able to ensure that the information that we convey is factual, um, it is raw, it is unfiltered. That's why it's called Me Too Media Unfiltered. We don't edit anything so that we make sure that everything that comes through to our viewers is exactly as it comes. Um, even if we do any type of editing, it's just for just promotional purposes. Um, also, I am a husband um, of, of my wife, Shirlene. I've uh, been married 10 years. Um, I'm also a father of two children, uh, Michael and Michaela. Um, I'm also a minister. Um, so um, I minister in different places and I continually, um, as much as possible, to continue to ensure to make sure that, um, that the gospel, even through plat different platforms, that the gospel, when it is preached, that we um, uplift and we present Jesus before we start to present our own humanity and our own person. Um, so that we introduce everyone to Jesus first before we introduce um, them to anything else that is a form of, of, of Christianity, um, denying the truth and denying the power they are. Okay. Um, thank you for that. Um, I know that I had sent, I think I sent you guys a couple questions. I, I kind of wanted this to go like kind of like a free flow. So be able to talk, you know, just about like experiences that you guys have. I know Terry, like you had mentioned, well, uh, you are a vet as well and yes. also suffer from um, PTSD coming back from yes. the war and not just that but you have uh, your guys that you came back with that also experiences um, depression and yes. as a as a minister and a counselor and and that I've experienced yeah, first on like yeah you you you're pretty good at like talking people down <laughs> yeah. he's very calming so a lot of times uh we work together um just as a backstory um and sometimes i i'm i get hypersensitive about stuff and he's kind of one of those people who's able to kind of like it's not a serious but calm down um so you know i wanted to talk about like your experiences um with dealing or counseling people who have come back and just like how you deal 
on on that level and making sure that you're accessible or available to those people who need it. Because I know you mentioned something about like just reaching out and texting, and sometimes you don't do that. We're so caught up into in our own our own world that we forget mm-hmm. that there's sometimes there's people out there who, you know, just a phone call to be like, hey, what's up? You know, mm-hmm. can help them because you never know when they're going through those moments. So if you could like talk a little bit about that. Um, okay, that's a very loaded question, but I'm I'm gonna try to be up and I'll break it down. Um, okay, so um, let me deal with the veteran process um, aspect first. Okay. Uh, I was a Marine veteran. I was a Marine um, for um, um, four years active and four years inactive. So as a as a Marine, uh, we went. I went to um, two combat tours. So my unit was deployed twice um, to Iraq. Um, the first one was in 2003 in the initial part of the war. Um, and then the second part was when we were, um, um, we were deployed to the Alenbar province um, and we were stationed in Al-Qaim. So while we were there, um, we experienced um, a few losses. One of the process of coming back from, from, from combat is that uh, you sit down with a chaplain. It could be in a group setting or it could be in an individual setting as to where you are expressing how you're feeling, your, what they call, it's kind of like in a process of, um, you are trying to find the right word. It's like a debrief. So you're debriefing from exactly everything that you went through. So once you get back to the United States, you go through that process. But once you get back to a certain area, before you get you know, back on base and, you know, they releases you and so on and so forth, you go to that process. So when I went to that process, I thought that I was fine and I didn't even deal with that. I didn't even go, when I, when I, when we went to the debriefing process, um, I was sitting down and I kind of like, I shrugged it off. It wasn't important. Right. So I'm going to learn why that was important later on. So when I got, so when I got, when I left the, the Marine Corps um, and I got in my EAS, um, I went um, through a process um, from 2005, I would say, to 2008, 2009-ish, um, where I was uh, having on and off bouts with depression. In the beginning, it was very harsh. It was hard for me to keep a job. Um, I would wake up in the morning and feel like I don't feel like going to work. Yeah. And I would stay there. Uh, and sometimes I would be in there um, and I would just be locked up in my room for like days, be in the dark, um, sleep, get up, maybe eat something and go back to sleep or sleep, get up, don't don't eat anything. And then eventually just lay there, eventually go back to sleep. And it was like a, a process. Um, I had a very short, very short fuse. Like you say something and then like, I, it will set me off real quick. Right. And I remember one time I got so angry um, because my mom said something to me. I forgot what it was. And I got I so angry mom. that I... Yeah, yeah, mom said something to me. I don't remember what it was, but it was like, it was like, at that moment, it was like she was highly annoying and it was just working my nerves and I punched the alarm clock that was next to my bed and uh, my dad got into it and uh, my dad at the time was not in the in the optimal health because, you know, he was dealing with some things um, um, physically, health-wise and he started to have, like, as if he was having a... a a heart attack or something like that, like his heart rate elevated and everything and so on and so forth. So to the point where my 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 father and my mother kind of sat down with me and it was like, you can't be here because I'm I'm afraid of what can happen if one day you truly blow up. 
Now, my mother was the first one to identify the fact that I was dealing with, with that something was wrong because she said, you're usually one of those people that whenever something happens, you shrug it off real quick. She yeah. said, wait a minute. She said, you are very volatile. Like you are like a ticking time bomb. Like anything can set you off. And she said, something is wrong. And she kept on asking me if I'm all right. And I'm like, I'm okay. Stop asking if I'm okay. And I was very like agitated when she would ask me that. So eventually I started to realize and I started to do my own research and I kind of got, got to the point where I realized that you're dealing with PTSD. Right. So uh, I was, I went through the depression process, you know, being um, homeless and having a place to live. Um, went to a friend's house and loved sleeping on in his living room for a while until uh, I was able to rent a room. Um, couldn't keep a job, so he was offering me to pay the rent. So he was very patient with me um, um, through the, the whole process. He didn't know exactly what I was dealing with, but he said to me, it was later on when we were having a conversation, that he said to me, T, in all honesty, you're, you're, um, you're not the person that I remember. The way you came to me, it wasn't the person I remember before. You know, so it was that kind of situation. Uh, so dealing with that, um, I ended up having to sit down and have some counseling session with my former pastor at the church I was going to. And he would sit down with me and we would have uh, conversations and we would talk. And there were some other people um, that also that I was having conversations, not probably counselors, but other individuals that were there. That out that was kind of our accountability partners that I would be able to call and say, yo, this is the way I feel, this is the way I'm what I'm what I'm feeling, what I'm going through, and to be able to um, help me with that. Um, to just kind of like talk with me and just have give me that opportunity, that outlet for me to be able to go to plug in and to be able to release. Right. So once um, so eventually um, uh, through also um, just people ministering to me, uh, me having a, a active prayer life. Uh, me spending more time in the presence of God and increasing my faith. Those started to be areas that were started to be helpful to me to help me to deal with my, you know, the things the things that I was dealing with. So I started to have less bouts with depression. Okay. Uh, and I started to be able to uh, go to work and be able to learn to prioritize certain things in my life. And to start to see, you can't like, like literally having to realize that T, you can't live like this. Um, I was, I was, I was going to people and being very dependent on people um, because I couldn't help myself. So all of these things were like things that were uh, indications for me. I had people, I had guys that I had served with that I, when I reach out to find out how they were doing to other friends on Facebook, it says, "Oh man, sorry to tell you, he committed suicide." So it was that kind of situation. Or somebody reached out to me and said, hey, T, did you hear about this person? I said, who? I said, what happened? He committed suicide. So we were having a lot of these things. Um, I was A lot of these guys that I had served with, that was the kind of situation that was going on. Yeah. Fast forwarding to years later when uh, I'm at a very different place in my life. Um, by the grace of God, I was doing well. Things were a lot better. Um, I was not at the place where I was mentally and emotionally and psychologically. And I remember a young, I, I remember seven o'clock in the morning, I will never forget it. Seven o'clock in the morning, like almost eight o'clock, I'm about to get off of work. Um, I was working at the time at the Garden Inn and Suites on Basie Boulevard. And I was leaving work, literally about to get in my car and I got a phone call. Um, I'm one of those people that I usually pick up the phone call unless I see the 800 number, we know back to don't pick up 1-800 <laughs> numbers. 
because we know that somebody's calling us to say, hey, I'm trying to sell you something or I'm trying to ask you for money that you probably owe or something like that. So I did, I picked up the call. It was a local call. It was a, a New York number, 347 or whatever it was. I picked up the call and the young man said to me, is this, uh, it is, is this uh, Terry? And I said, yes, it's Terry. And I said, how may I help you? And he says, my name is um, so on and so forth. And he said, I was about to commit suicide and I heard a voice in my head tell me to call you. And I was like, okay. Now, now he definitely got my attention there. Right. So I said, all right. So I, I, I drove, um, I, I took my phone and I put on my earpiece and I started driving, I started listening to him. And he was just unloading about all the pressures that he was dealing with, all the things that was going on in his life. Um, mind you, he's a father. Um, he's a husband. He's a father of two children, I think, at the time. And he is a husband. So um, he started to kind of unload. And I let him just be able to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And he was talking, I would say, we were on the phone for a total of three hours. Um, and he was talking for at least uh, 60, 70% of that. And uh, he was just unloading and I allowed him to unload because I, ne I knew that one of the aspects of what he needed was to be able to unload. Right. Um, depression, two, two sides of depression that I've always seen with people is that they are, they are very expressive or they become very silent. Right. And I've seen people where they are very expressive, like, yo, this is what I'm going through. It's not what I want, and it's so on and so forth and whatnot. And then they'll unload and then they'll calm. Okay. And then they'll feel better. And I have seen people that are like, I don't, I don't have anything to say. I'm internalizing everything. So uh, me and myself and the, so we, we were on the phone, we were talking and talking and talking. And he was just expressing everything. He was releasing everything. By the time we were done with, with the conversation, I started to kind of like now talk to him and got him to be able to, and, the, and, and to be able to get him to, to, and the, and, um, to reframe his thinking, to rethink the, the things about priority and of, of importance. And the one thing I started to make him understand is that you're the priority. Right. I said, everything else is secondary. You're the priority. You're the most important thing. If you kill yourself, what you're going to do is, besides you start thinking about your family, is that your presence is going to be missing and there's going to be a lot of chain reaction that's going to come after that. So I sort of get him to learn to understand and to prioritize himself as the priority, as the most important entity in the whole equation. Then I started to bring up his family. And I said, if you're no longer there, I said, understand that your wife is going to be missing um, her 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 mate, her partner, and 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 somebody who's who's her supporting her strength. Then you get there's going to be a problem um, as to where your children are going to be missing their fa their father. Your son is gonna is looks at you to be able to understand and identify what it is to be a man. So right. I said, you lacking that's going to be a problem because he's going to look to other men, and that can potentially open the door for him to be abused by other men in various ways. Um, and that's going to be a problem because of the fact that he doesn't have the man that shares the same DNA that looks like him, the, the man that he looks to as a, as a pillar of strength, and the man that he looks, looks at as the, um, as the uh, uh, person that he identifies with. So identity, his identity is locked in you. I said, your daughter also at the same time, and whenever she's going to be looking for a husband, she's going to look for a man that is like daddy. And I said, so when you're not there, that's going to be a problem. Right. 
So um, the affection that she needs, she gets it from daddy. If you're not there, that's going to be a problem. And you don't want her to go to other people to try to get that kind of, uh, of, um, of, of, of um, 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 intimacy. And then those, those um, individuals would take advantage of that. Right. And I said, you don't want for that to happen. So we started to talk about that. And then after that, we went into the ministering aspect because he's also was a believer. Um, so as a Christian, we started talking about, you know, what does the Bible say about it? What do you think? And this time was there for one. I kind of get his perspective on certain things. And then by the time we were done with that, we prayed. And then he was in a whole different mindset. That that man was just rejoicing that he was alive. And he was just happy and thankful that he was alive and that his um, his kids are not losing a father and his wife is not losing a husband. Um, okay. <laughs> Thank you for that story. You did tell me that story. And um, yeah, I, I didn't know like he called you out of the blue, but that was kind mm-hmm. of, you know, that kind of hit me because, you know, sometimes we, we, we are going through moments and say, we're not sure who to call. I know like um, Talia, like you're touched on the fact that in, in, in the black community, it's there's a stigma about seeking help um, and going to you know talk to someone like talking to a pastor. I think we're probably okay with that because we talk to a pastor all the time um, <laughs> for the most part, I guess. Um, but talking to somebody who's professional, um, that's their job. Um, it's that's a little bit more um, of a stigma. We're not really we're used to like you know holding things in, um, and it, it's interesting because I did talk to Terry about that. I'm like, why do you think that is? Like, what it is? Because I know, like, growing up in the island, too, it's like when a kid is going through, or a person is going through some things, and they're like, oh, they're just not. You know what I'm saying? As in a post, like, this is meant, they have a mental issue. You can't just brush it off and be like, oh, you know what I'm saying? That's, you have to be able to um, respond to that. And I wanted to say, it's like, a lot of people are saying about the Nick Cannon situation that he's probably doing it for publicity. Um, so I want to touch on when, when Terry was saying there's certain people who um, they're quiet and then there's some people who are very vocal about it. I'm not sure which one is more likely to commit suicide. It doesn't matter. But the point is, it's like, you know, us questioning whether or not it's valid is why I think some people get to that point because they might have been reaching out and might have been saying things that you just brush it off. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, so I wanted to like talk to you, Tali, because I know you have been very vocal about your depression and stuff that you go through. Like, if you could talk to us about like some of the tools. I remember once you said sometimes you get up in the morning, you like to watch the cats and dogs, <laughs> like videos of that, yeah. and that helps your day. And I think it's so important, like, to be able to, from that perspective, talk to people about some of the stuff that you do to help you to get through those moments when it's you know really dark. Yeah, for sure. So for me. It's funny that Terry said that people can be very expressive or very withdrawn. I'm both. So I'll either be pouring everything out or I'm completely shut down. Um, But generally for me, it's just depression isn't so much a sadness for me as a hopelessness. So it's hard to get out of bed. It's hard to make it into the shower. It's hard to get food in your stomach. Like I, I relate to Terry talking about laying in bed for days on end and just feeling like it was physically impossible. I didn't have the physical strength to move my body. Um, So there are different things that really helped me to cope with that. Um, You mentioned the the cat videos um, and really it's just small cute things. So 
kitties and puppies and ducklings and babies. And, <laughs> um, and what that is for me, it's less about the creatures and more about sort of the purity of that joy. Right. Um, connecting with something that doesn't have anything stamped on it. It's just sweet. It's just, it's just pure. Um, I do a lot of self care that maybe doesn't seem like the traditional stuff. So like I'll, I'll shower in the dark with a candle lit because it allows me to sort of center myself. And it's a lot of the times because I also have anxiety or being overstimulated is, is very difficult to deal with. And so if it's really bright and it's really noisy, that can be more overwhelming for me. And so that calm of taking a shower with like bergamot oil, because it has like anti-anxiety properties. So, you know, I'll put it in the, in the shower and as the heat rises and the, the essential oil scent and all of that. Um, talking is a big thing for me. I'm my poor mother can't catch a break every time, every time I'm going through it is like mom <laughs> you know but being able to have that very small circle of people yeah. that you can pick up the phone and call them at three in the morning you can pick up the phone and call them at two in the afternoon um you know my mom has told her employers if if my daughter calls I have to go yeah you know because she understands that it's not that I'm soft or right. moody she understands that I'm not well and I think that kind of speaks to what you were saying about the black community struggling with seeking help or even acknowledging mental health is that we don't see it as a health issue right right we dismiss it as it's all in your head um and yeah it's it's all in your head in the same way that a tumor is all in your head right you know you are you are literally sick when I am having a depressive episode and I can't get out of bed, I am sick. You know, I had to learn to, when I worked at a nine to five, to call into work on the days that I didn't feel well. I felt so guilty. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I don't have a, a cough, you know, or my stomach's oh. not upset. I'm not sick. And it's like, no, you're, you're sick. Yeah. You're, you're, I think learning to acknowledge it as an illness and then treat it in the same way, like, you know, you wouldn't be mad at yourself for putting a Band-Aid on a cut. So why would you be mad at yourself for talking to a therapist right. uh, for your mental health concerns? So therapy is another thing that has been very important for me. It was not a smooth process. Your first therapist might not be your right therapist. Um, right. You have to be prepared for it to be an ongoing process. I know we want to walk in and this person has all the answers and everything feels right, especially when you're so desperate to feel better, unfortunately. Right doesn't always go that way. For me, it was really important that I had a black therapist, that I had a female therapist, um, in part because some of the things that I've gone through that's created some of my mental health concerns are things that have to be understood through a cultural lens. Okay. And I've had therapists who were not culturally connected and they couldn't understand why I coped with some things in certain ways. Mm -hmm. um, and so I learned early on, okay, no, I need this person to get it because I right. can't explain my culture on top of what I'm feeling. Right. So therapy is really important. I use a, a digital platform called Talkspace. So okay. my therapist is online, which is great because then I can connect at any time. And I that service wasn't interrupted, say, by something like COVID-19. Right. Um, I know that doesn't work for everybody. Some people need that physical interaction and they need to be in the space. But if you are comfortable with that sort of interaction, it's it's really fantastic to have them sort of literally at your fingertips. Right. So those are some of the things that, oh, and then, of course, my medication. God right. forbid. Medication. <laughs> um, you know, it has been, I was afraid um, that medication would numb me or make me dull. 
Okay. Um, that was always the fear because being a creative, I write for a living. I need to have full access to my range of emotions. What the medication did for me is sort of channel it. So instead of it being this big thing I had no control over, I can still feel what I'm feeling, but it's more compact. So it's not overwhelming. It's not taking over. Medication, much like therapy, isn't always perfect at the start. Um, You know, it may not be the right medication for you. It may not be the right dose for you. And that's a matter of being really communicative with your doctor and being really honest about what you're feeling <laughs> so that right. they are to yeah like don't lie and or feel like you have to lie about what you're feeling because the more they know the better they can sort of adjust the prescription for you mm-hmm. um but yeah that that has been honestly a saving grace and i wish i did it much 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 earlier right yeah um i know like uh sorry what do you think because I know we talked about that. Like, why do you think that it's so hard for, um, for, well, I let's talk about the veterans for a little bit because it's like I know sometimes a lot of them come back and I'm not trying to get political or anything, but I feel like a lot of times we don't do enough for vets. Because um, I, the the where I work in, ninety percent of the people um, that I work in my in my department are military, ex-military, whatever, because. Mm-hmm. G-Force, you know, they, they hire ex-cops and stuff of, like that. Yeah, former, former yeah. veterans and former law enforcement. Right. Yeah. But the, the, it's funny because I know, like, veterans outside of that who has problem, like, even to just get, like, a medical appointment to go see a doctor. It's like they have to wait, like, so long for all of that. Um, but what do you think is, like, their, their biggest um, hurdle, I guess, in terms of, of that, like, for the veterans, like, what do you think is their issue as far as being able to access that? Was that is that accessible for them? I know, like, medically, yeah, but as far as how do they get those treatments other than just like talking to maybe you or whoever? Because not everybody's going to have that. Like Talia, you know, you are blessed that you have your mom that you can call, and you know, mm-hmm. you have your husband. I know you can talk to because um, he's also he's going to be. But no, I mean, I I, I see your relationship, but I know that you guys, you know, have that comfort level where you guys can talk to each other. And that's a Mm -hmm. blessing. But not everybody has that. You know what I'm saying? And not everybody, even if they do have people, because I'm sure a lot of people have people in their life that loves them. You must, I think, have at least one person in your life that will absolutely be there for you in the morning. But you don't necessarily want to because of that shame. And that's the thing. Mm -hmm. I think that was the biggest problem with it is that a lot of people feel that shame you know but for you Talia like what was that moment that you realized that you needed to to do that and that you stopped being uh like ashamed of it like and I don't know oh, I don't know like, like being able to talk publicly like because you're very vocal about it you know what I'm saying and you're not like oh this is something like you know that people are going to judge me for I mean I'm sure and I'm sure yeah, they do. Yeah, that <laughs> I'm sure that happened. And, but like, what was that moment where you're like, you know, this is me and this is who I am. And I'm going to just lay beer to, to you. I think I've always said as a writer, my goal is to help people put into words what they can't say. Right. Um, and I realized one of the, one of the things that I, that my, one of my earlier therapists said to me is, she goes, you're not special. And that sounds terrible. (laughs) (laughs) 
She said, it seems like only when you're going through depression, when you're in the pits and everything's awful, it feels like you're the only person in the world who knows what this feels like. Yeah. You're the only person who reacted to trauma by using these unhealthy coping mechanisms. You're the only person who's coping with their sadness by eating marshmallows exclusively. That was a phase. <laughs> I, I subsisted on marshmallows. It was terrible. You know, she goes, you think you're the only person and you're not. Like you're, the fact that you're dealing, say for example, with PTSD, that is a normal response to what you've been through. You right. are not special. And I said, oh, okay. So if I'm feeling this and other people are feeling this, there's somebody out there who needs to hear right. that this is normal. That was one thing. The other thing is that everybody always says, oh, you know, you look like you have it all together. You know, you're so polished. Yeah. You do this. And I get that a lot, you know, because it's, I don't, I had to learn that my perfectionism doesn't have to be projected outward. I don't have to present perfection. Right. Um, I realized that a lot of people misunderstood me as being perfect. And it felt important to show people that you can have mental health issues. You can be deep in the depths of depression. I started my business from my bed when I was off from work because I, I wasn't old enough to go to work. I needed people to know that you could be all of these things. You could be depressed. You could have anxiety. You could have PTSD and you could still be successful. Mm -hmm. You could still have moments of happiness. You know, you can still have some control over your life. And so I talk about it because there is this misconception that if you are depressed, then that's the only thing you are. Right. But I am depressed and. Yeah. And a long list. Breaking the stigma. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there should not be any shame. Right. Um, and the longer we stay silent, the more shame there's going to be. Right. Yeah, that's true. And, and also the mis the more misunderstanding there is concerning the, the condition. Um, I was I was talking to someone, and I, and we were talking about it, which is a different it's a different topic, but just using the analogy. And I told someone I said, um, as as a as a as a as a faster, I don't need to have a um, um, a, 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 a great in-depth understanding of liberation theology or be an activist, but I should be able to address the issues, um, not enough knowledge to address the issues that an individual is dealing with. And for most of us who have friends or who have family members, if we don't get them to understand what we're dealing with through conversation, they are unable to help us. Right. And, and, and oftentimes they are unwilling to help us. Why is that? Because of the fact that whenever, if I'm going through something, nobody can be able to read my mind. Now, if this mm -hmm. is an ability that I'm not aware people have, please let me have it, that would be helpful. <laughs> but I can't read your mind, Talia. So I won't be able to know exactly what you're dealing with. So one of the processes that I always, uh, when I used to, when I, when I was teaching the chapters, one of the process I would get them to understand is something we call the ministry of presence. The ministry of presence is, is literally what it is. You are present. You are there. That means that got to, that's going to be a very hard process to do, especially when you're dealing with preachers. It's very hard for, to get them to shut up for a little bit. <laughs> so I have to tell them listen, when your things that you're going to get to do, I know it is hard for you. It is against everything that is within your spiritual uh, uh, um, parameters. I said, but guess what you're going to have to learn to do? You're going to have to learn to sit down 
shut your mouth for a little bit, listen so that you can be able at the end of the day, at the end of the conversation, be able to give the person the accurate information with the right understanding to be able to help them to be able to uh, go along with what is it that the instruction that you're giving them. Why is that? It is important to do that because of the fact that you can miss out on a piece of information because you are talking and you can miss out on a very important information that the person is giving you because of the fact that you are too much into your own self trying to give people your uh, um your your the information that you want to give that's popping up in your head and then you're missing out on 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 on, on what the person is basically saying right. and it's important to be able to understand that so when someone is coming to you and they say hey this is what i'm dealing with this is what i'm going through then you can be able to now be able to lend your ear listen to what they're 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 uh they're saying so you can gather information so that you can be able to give them the proper information right after what they're saying but right. if you're in the midst and you're, you're not gonna get the information that is necessary and you can miss out on a very important body information yeah that's the, and that's true so um your i was saying the other day that your your intention is not necessarily how your information is perceived you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. could have the best of intention to say Okay, so, and also, like, people receive things differently. Like, just because something will work for Talia won't necessarily work for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Um, it won't necessarily mean it'll work for me. So, it's like being able to be present and listen to people is important because, you know, like, for me, if I'm going, I, I don't, I wouldn't, by any stretch of the imagination, imagination say I suffer from depression. Like, I am, um, you know, I get moody sometimes you know for whatever reason um but it's like if i'm going through something i want to talk about it sometimes that's all i want to do mm-hmm. like i'm not really interested in, what, in all honesty like i'm not interested in what you really have to say i, I just want to vent you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and sometimes i think that's what it is like we're all like oh well well i read this and somebody said this and this is happening i'm saying and it's like but that doesn't necessarily mean that and and you're delivering it in a way that's probably is like okay for you, but I'm receiving it like you're judging me, like you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking down to me or whatever it is. Like, and I think like sometimes we even like as a person given that information, I have to understand that just because you have the best of intention doesn't mean that's how that person is going to receive that information. Right. You know what I'm exactly. saying? And I've had to, you know, do that because I always feel like I know everything. Like, you know, yes, <laughs> this is how you deal with it because. Somebody said that, you know, mm-hmm. but I think if anything that I want anybody to get out of this is like, I was telling, I was saying like, I watched, it was a video or read something somewhere about like, and it's not related to suicide, but it's like, um, about if you're having a heart attack, like if you cough, like it constrict your heart or whatever. And that stuck in my head. You know what I'm saying? It's like, so every time like I get like anxious about something and my heart starts tightening up, I start doing that. And it's like, I want this to be something where, um somebody can find something out of this and say oh wait yeah she's you know this happened and you know i heard this and maybe if i try this you know this will work um so i just want to know like if you guys have like just any like any just advice for people who you know going through this that you want to say well you know i don't know just say say whatever it is that you see like something that you can give somebody that might potentially it might not help everybody because like you might like me watching 
a video of dogs when I'm I'm sad. It's probably gonna make me cry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> With you, it'll make you happy. So everybody's yeah. different. So I'm not expecting you to help everybody broadly, but just like be able to like just kind of if you have any advice of you know whatever, just like just advice to give people. Say like you know maybe this works or that whatever. And I understand you were talking about the taking the shower in the dark or whatever, but just anything else that you can give to people, just a little nugget to just say something that they can grab onto, say to remember like later if they are going through this. Um, I think for me, so I always think back to the things that I learned in therapy. Okay. Because that is where I got a lot of understanding that things that I thought were just how I was were symptoms. Okay. Um, and it's interesting when Terry talks about punching the alarm clock um i can also be quite quick to get enraged when my depression is bad um and then it also comes with my anxiety where something that seems minor becomes a major trigger for me and one of the things that i learned in therapy was that you have the the incident and then you have the reaction and it often feels like those two things are like this right but there's a space and you can train yourself to widen that space. You can train yourself to identify the things that are setting you off. So I've learned to say, okay, this thing has upset me and my automatic response is anger, but it doesn't have to be. So it's right. sort of learning to catch, oh, I'm getting upset. Let me choose a different reaction. It is going to be almost impossible at first because for however long you've been alive, you've been doing this. Right. And you associate it with that. But I remember the first time that I actually was able to successfully do it. And it's a ridiculous story, but I was walking out of the grocery store and I had one of those like you know, little personal carts and I got these groceries stacked in this cart and I'm chugging through this parking lot and it's gray outside and it's cold and it's awful. And my cartwheel hit a crack in the pavement and half my groceries <laughs> went rolling across the parking lot. On a regular day, I would have sat down and cried. And I remember thinking, I wanna cry, I'm getting upset. I'm gonna laugh instead. Right. Mm -hmm. And I made the decision to laugh. And I must have looked like a crazy woman <laughs> laughing as my onions roll across the parking lot. Right. But it was just like realizing I had the power Right. In some instances, to override my automatic responses. It's not always going to work. Depression is a powerful thing. And I think my only other piece of advice is remember to be gracious with yourself because yeah. you are literally at war with your mind and you are going to lose sometimes. And that's not a reflection of your weakness. It's a reflection of the strength of the illness that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And you have to be gracious because the more you be like depression is going to beat on you without you helping it along. Sure. So give yourself the grace of saying depression is handling that. I am going to be kind to me. So even when I try my methods and they don't work, even when, you know, I'm just, I, I feel bad for how I've behaved. Always remember to be gracious because tomorrow's another day and you get to try to be better then. Awesome. That's great. Thank you so much for that. Terry, you want to add a little to that? Um, I can speak on both ends. Uh, I can speak on the end of on the perspective of dealing with depression and also the other side of ministering to the very thing or to be the support system to the very thing. So I'll speak on both quickly. Uh, 
dealing with 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 depression and and up, up, even where on something that uh, Claudia said um, when she said um, depression is powerful, I would say more or less um, that depression is overpowering and or that is overwhelming mm -hmm. because it's it comes in a way that's the way it over it, it floods. Um, Mm -hmm. um your 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 mind it over it floods your emotions um and it gets to the point where that kind of overwhelming could become crippling so mm -hmm. you're that's what puts you in bed and you stay in bed for a very long time um or two or three days or whatever it may be but what is it that is going to be the, the, the very thing and again it's that support system is going to be the thing to help you you have to have those people that you can be able to have on that call to say, hey, this is what I'm dealing with. And this is what I always encourage anyone who is dealing with depression to be very open and very vocal about what it is that you're going through. Mm -hmm. And even to the friends that may have a friend that you, your friend is dealing with depression, but they are not vocal and they are very much the reclusive, um, very quiet, um, keep to themselves, um, start to give you hints of them being severely depressed to the point of suicide as to where they'll say, um, hey man, I know you love this ring, but I'll, I'm, I'll give it to you. Mm -hmm. When they started doing things like that, start to be very concerned. Why okay. is that? Because those things are things that would, when they're giving stuff away, it's an indication that let me give those things away because of the fact that I may be planning, I may be not always a situation, but I may be planning to be able to commit suicide. Number, th um, number three is that um, whenever you are checking on your friend, it is always a great co uh, um, conversation starter, especially when you're dealing with tackling um, the issue of suicide or, the, or depression or both of them at the same time, that you can say, how, not only how are you feeling today, what are you going to talk to me or anything like that, but also be able to include the question, have you ever thought about suicide? Right. This is not giving the person an indication to end their life, but it's to ask so that whatever the person's answer would be so that you or yourself can take appropriate actions. Uh, right. Number four, you are not the one or and all. That <laughs> means that if you're the support system, you're not the support system, the healer, the counselor, the support, the this, the that. You're not, you don't do everything. So right. you have to learn to be able to hand the person off to the right professional to be able to deal with this. And I'm going to tell you why. One of the things I had to tell the chaplains when we were doing classes, I keep I had to tell them to get them to understand this. As much faith as you have, as much as you pray, as much as you do this, that, and the other, you are not a clinical psychologist. You're right. not a you're not a therapist. There are people that went to school for years, pay a whole lot of money, spent a lot of time studying, broke nights, broke days, and did all this stuff to be able to get that little piece of certificate. <laughs> that says that they are certified. Guess what? Learn to be able to include somebody that you know that works in that field. Even when I do my uh, uh, um, um, my contents um, on certain things, I even include certain 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 people that deals in that field to ask them what do you think the mental state of individuals or a group of people or or, 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 or ethnicity, um, you know, whatever it may be. I asked them, what do you think the state of the, the mental state of that or those individual or that person is? Why do I ask that question? So that we can get an idea of what is it that people are going through and are mentally internally. So one of the things that you have to be able to learn to do is to be able to learn to incorporate that friend that you may be, that maybe um, uh, that is in that field 
that may not be particularly a patient of that person to right. be able to say, hey, let me give you that person's number. You can call the person and be able to talk to the person and so on and so forth. And then you, that person, may, be, may have a little arrangement on the side and say, hey, I know that this is something you get paid to do, you know, and so on and so forth, but this is a friend of mine and I'm very concerned and so on and so forth or whatever, whatnot, and then take it step by step on how to be able to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Also, um, whenever, you're, whenever you are dealing with a friend, it's something that Talia said earlier, uh, when you said the therapist said to you that you are not, and paraphrasing, uh, you're not special, something mm-hmm. like that, right? So here is the thing. That was true. And for most people that deal that are supporting or helping with people with depression, because they, are, they have not never done that, they are very bashful about telling person the person the truth. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to know have to be able to speak to the person and to be able to tell them the truth. And the truth is A, B, C, E, and E. You cannot coddle the person. People mm-hmm. keep thinking that you have to coddle the person like a baby, woo-woo. You got to pull a Sinclair, like woo-woo. No, you don't have to. Talk to the person because the person is a human being with right. real issues. It's not made up issues. It's right. not only in their mind. And mm-hmm. No, no, this is real issues that you have to be able to tell the person the facts, the truth. This is what I'm noticing. You are de- dealing with this. You are dealing with that. I'm not a psychologist, but this is what it seems like you're dealing with. Guess what? I'm going to get you someone to be able to help you. Now, your availability has to open up a little bit. You have to be able to be able to be that, uh, um, that support that will be able to go with the person to one of the two sessions or whatever, whatnot, and so on and so forth, whatnot, as a support system. You're waiting in the lobby while they are in there on the comfortable couch. But be able to be available to be able to go with the person. Be able to be available to be able to enter the call at three o'clock in the morning and not look at the phone and be like, oh my God, not her again. And then you just kind of like, well, I'll talk to her in the morning. No, because you don't know that that person may be having a crisis at three o'clock in the morning and you need to be available to be able to talk to the person. A lot of these things are very important. And these are the things that I have not only instructed people and counsel people to be able to do, but also at the same time, those things, those are the things that I've also utilized to be able to help that person that is going through something and to be able to have that um, external source that I could be able to reach to and say, hey, sister or brother, that is in that field of clinical psychology. Hey, let me just be able to get on your understanding of something. How do I be able to be able to help with the person mm-hmm. uh, with the situation they're dealing with? Why is that? Because of the fact that the more information I have, the more I can be able to help the person. Right, right. Don't sit there and be like, well, I, I know everything because I've been, uh-huh. I've been counseling people for years and this, not whatever. No, there are new information that are coming on, on the horizon. Exactly. There are new information that is being put out there and that you got to be able to, to help with that. There always have to be a, a balance. And here is one of the last thing I want to say is uh, when we are, especially when, and this is a, a big issue, when we are dealing with the aspect of faith and clinical mm-hmm. issues right we um and on and the, on the and the sacred aspect we keep thinking that everything is either demonic or we lay hands on it we cast it out and we pray and then that's right away <laughs> that's not always a situation there has to be balance god made doctors for a reason yep <laughs> he didn't just make doctors for people that are not that are that do not believe in God or atheists yeah. or anything like that. Sure. No, he God. made doctors for a reason. <laughs> there is a reason for that because there are certain aspects that may require medicine. There are certain aspects that may require 
counseling and so on and so forth. Counseling doesn't have to be with the pastor. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be with the, but all of those things are, again, if you're balancing the right way, it would be able to help the individual that is dealing right. with that. So yes, you know, um, as a minister, I'm always gonna refer you to a, a, a clinical psychologist, somebody that will understand and be able to diagnose your issue. Now, when right. I understand what you're dealing with, now from my perspective, that's what I'll take into prayer. That's what I'll take you know, right. uh, uh, um, um, into the times where I may be fasting and I'm praying for you, not saying for, 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 for you to be able to either get your deliverance from this or to be able to be healed from this or to be able to somehow uh, um, uh, um, be able to, your, your mind is being more clear and you have mm -hmm. less bouts with that, with that particular um, um, issue. So I'm always going to be able to, to, to refer you to that. Why is that? Because of the fact that I don't want to be, I don't want anybody to be so dependent on one side and then you're ignoring the other side so that you, like you said, I was able, uh, I should have been more forthcoming and start to take the medicines um, earlier because that helped me to cope with it. Because mm -hmm. now if you can cope with it, you have more of a clarity of mind. Absolutely. Then if I'm saying something to you in the realm of faith, you're more inclined to receive it. And when you're more inclined to receive it, you're more inclined for your faith to grow and for you to be able to switch your belief from whatever you were believing before to be able to believe the very thing that we are talking about in the realms of faith. So, you know, there are, um, I remember there was a bishop I was talking about today. He says, this is not always that. Mm -hmm. And we have to understand why this is not always that. Yeah. Because traditionally, denominationally, and even um, culturally, we have put a stamp on, mm -hmm. on, on, on depression and stamp on suicide. So in the sacred aspect, it is demonic. It is this, it is that. And it's, that's always what it is. But not understanding mm -hmm. that there can be a chemical imbalance. There could be something other than that. It's not yeah. always one thing. Mm -hmm. The other side is to understand that because of the fact that you deal with it, that doesn't mean that, and this is what has been culturally, oh, not saying, oh, he retarded, or she retarded, yeah. or she got some this, or she mm -hmm. got some that. Yeah. Oh, not saying, oh, she, this girl, she just crazy. Mad. Yeah, well, she, she bipolar, crazy, that's girl. her favorite word. Everybody it's not what they want now, they bipolar. <laughs> she got <laughs> easy. It's disorder, guys. It, it is, I know, right? It is, it is, it is. on anybody. Yeah. It is. But it happens and, all the time. Mm -hmm. It yeah. happens yes. all the time. I wanted to say something to the point that Terry was making about um, making yourself available. And I think sometimes people want to be helpful. Mm -hmm. and I appreciate that very much. Yeah. Um, but I think it's really important to be honest about the kind of help you're willing to offer. Do not yes. tell people that you will answer their call at 3 a.m. If you know you are not the kind of person who's going to be on at 3 a.m. Right. Don't tell somebody that you're going to come and clean up their depression room if you know that you are scornful and you're going to judge them yeah. for clothes under the bed. Help in the way that is befitting of what you are able to give and what will not harm you. Right. right? So if you are the kind of person that, that has your own triggers, don't offer help that's going to put you in a position to be triggered, right. right? I think it's important that, and I've had to apply this for myself as well because I'm, I'm a bleeding heart and I wanna help everybody even though I'm a disaster myself. But it's important that you're very honest because what then happens is if you offer that help and then when it's time to for the person to cash in on that offer, you're not actually able to deliver, they will never ask you for help again. Right. And they may also hesitate to ask somebody else for help because they might feel because you, when you're depressed, 
on suicidal, you feel like a burden. You feel like you're so right. heavy. And so you have mm -hmm. to, I used to spend days working up the courage to say to somebody, hey, I need you to come over because I can't be home alone. Right. So I would suffer for days. Mm -hmm. Anytime someone told me no, it was a disaster. And not because they didn't have the right to say no, but because they said they'd be there. Right. They didn't deliver. They didn't show up. So it's yeah. important that if you're saying you're going to do something, if you can do it, do it. Do it right. If it's not something you're capable of doing, don't offer it because you feel like it's the right thing to do. Because it, right. it doesn't end up being helpful for them and it doesn't end up being helpful for you. Yeah, right. it becomes it becomes a setback because what you do is with the person that is dealing with, you set them back. Yeah, because you don't know how many days that it took me the courage to work up to ask. Right to ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but then when you telling me that you reset me back to zero, and I gotta start all over again. Yeah, and it's gonna take twice as long because now I'm also processing the noise. Right. <laughs> it and, sounds and, ridiculous. And, and it's, it, it is reality. It is reality, and this is what I always tell people. I said, I said, if you're gonna be that kind of person that's gonna say, "Hey, I'm gonna help you. I'll be here for you." I said, you have to realize one thing. Just like a child, when you tell a child, I'm gonna take you to the park and I'm gonna get you ice cream, and that child banks on that. Mm -hmm. That person that is dealing with the same depression and the and and the other mental illness that you, that they're dealing with, you have to be able to also deliver. Because yeah. here is here is what can happen. Not only that you set the person back, but now the person themselves is not only reset back to zero, and I have to work up that courage again to get to where they got. But also, they're not. They now there's an added burden. The added burden is that what if what if I ask this person? Somebody else. Right? And and they and they and I, or ask somebody else. They might say no. So the person now starts to work. So starts to build up those barriers to protect themselves mm -hmm. because they don't want to be hurt or be disappointed by what the other person has done. Right. So those are the things that we have to consider, especially when you are coming in the world of saying, I'm here and I'm a support, I'm either help and so on and so forth. So that's why I always caution not only one individual is part of your the support team. Mm -hmm. you, right. If you can have multiple people to be able to help that one person, have multiple people to be able to help that one person because there are times that you're going to get to the point where you might be overwhelmed. And this is what happens with a lot of other ministers that I had to get them to understand. It's something called comp compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue is that mm -hmm. you're tired, you're exhausted because you're juggling multiple things in your burden and you're still pushing yourself and you're still pushing yourself to have that person, for example, that's dealing with some type of mental illness. And then one day you break and your breaking hurts them and mm -hmm. again resets them back to zero. Yeah, because if you're empty, you have nothing to give anyone. So you yeah, have to make sure that you have, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so does that, do you, can you, I'm just thinking about like your family, like Terry, your wife, and Talia, your mm -hmm. husband. Um, like, do you see like obvious signs of like, like how do they deal with you when you're going through this last lesson? I don't want to get too long, although we're almost an hour. Um, but like, how, how does that, impact them and how did how how do you feel about that when you're out when you're on the other side of it you you know like you maybe you screamed at them or said some oh, yeah. whatever random things to them like, that. <laughs> like what is that like <laughs> um for me i think a lot of the challenge came with i didn't have the language to articulate what i was really feeling mm -hmm. um and i always say to people Anger is the easiest emotion to access. 
Um, there's this, I wish I knew who wrote this quote, but it, it's like, I sat with my um, anger long enough until she told me her name was Grieve. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so I, you wanna, now you're going to have me research that. So I know, right? <laughs> that is a powerful quote. I was like, that is a sermon in a sentence. <laughs> but I had to learn, and, and this is why therapy was extremely important. I had to learn the language for what I was feeling and then what I needed. So I had to, men have, a, men like to fix. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and that's just their nature. Men are doers. Men want to give you solutions. Men want to resolve your problems. Men want to like wrap it up in a bow, put a bow on it and mail it out. And it's like, right. no, no, no. I need to cry. Yeah. I need to vent. And I just want you to listen. So he would be giving me solutions and I'm getting mad. <laughs> but instead of being like, right. no, I just want you to listen. I'm just mad. Now I'm blowing up. And he's like, why are you blowing up? And now we're having an argument. And he's like, I'm just trying to help you. So I had to learn for me, it was really important to learn what does help look like? Right. Does help look like you just listening? Does help look like you doing the dishes today so I don't have to do them? Because that's just one thing. I just I can't do another thing. Does help look like let's order takeout instead of doing dinner because it's going to make me happy, right? So I had to learn for me, because you were, like you said earlier, where you like, help looks different. Like what's helpful is different for everybody. So right. in, my, in my relationship, we had to figure out, okay, what is actually constructive and helpful? And what does it look like for him delivering that? So, and I had to learn how to express myself mm. with words <laughs> um, <laughs> and the right words and the honest right. words. Um, but that the first few years were rocky. I will not lie. <laughs> it was, right. it was rough. And sometimes it's going to be like that because mental illness is messy. It's, mm. it's, it, there's no making it tidy. You learn how to navigate the mess. Right. Um, for me, when when I was dealing with the with the, the the blunt of it, I wasn't actually in a relationship with my wife. Oh, okay. Um, we didn't start a relationship with, so I wasn't. But when I became, when we got into a relationship, I was, I was in a different stage of my life. Uh, mentally and psychologically and emotionally anyway. But when I got to, there are certain things in life, and here's the thing, uh, I'll reference this and I could just be able to help with answering that question. Uh, 2015, I went one of the worst depressions in my life. Yeah, it wasn't PTSD triggered or anything like that. It was just, uh, I was like, what is this? Yeah. And I mean, depressed, like, my birthday, I was so depressed on my birthday. My wife had to lay hands on me and just pray for me because I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to bother anybody. I was like just automated mode doing things that I did as a father and as a husband, but I was depressed. Um, eventually, I figured out exactly what the social depression was and God tried to get me to understand what it was. And, and, and eventually, that whole process was, was dealt with. But one of the things that my wife did was being there. There are times that I snapped uh, when she said, uh, they talked to me. What do you want me to tell you? What? What do you want me to tell you? Mm -hmm. And, and it, it, was, it was one of those things. And she was patient. She was patient. She understood that I was going through something and she was patient. And, and, and I'll say this, um, the reason I've always spoke about my very highly of my wife is because 
not only the fact that she is that kind of a blessing to my life, but here is the other reason too, is that when you have the right partner to help you to, to, to navigate through something, that in itself, it is a blessing. There are some people that go through this stuff and they go through it by themselves. And they got to rely on people that don't live with you, people that are that may be saying, I'm going to help you. But I'm like, oh my God, I've got to, again, I got to go to, I got to go help this person. Right. Mm. Yeah, she, that person don't understand. I'm, I mean, I understand they're going through something, but you know what I'm saying? I have a life too. Right. So my wife had been that person that oftentimes that had been very um, understanding, uh, that had been very, um, that had been very understanding, that had been very much there to be able um, to help me to navigate through, you know, that particular um, time of my life where I was going through that, that, that depression. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and understanding when you're dealing with, uh, when you're dealing with that aspect of it, if you don't have somebody that's patient enough to be able to understand what you're going through, to understand what you're dealing with, to understand uh, how to be able to calm you down when you're flaring up, mm-hmm. it's gonna be a problem. And um, and there are some people that has walked out of marriages and said, I, I know my vow says, you know, for sickness and in health, the devil is what, but I can't deal with this. Uh-uh, right. that's way too much. I can't deal with, with this. And, and again, you need somebody that's gonna be able to be able to help. You're gonna need that person that when you're laying on the bed and you look hopeless, that they may just come down and lay next to you and be able to mm-hmm. help you. Now, let me speak about my brothers. My brothers, we are still coming along to understand certain aspects, especially when we have a spouse or a girlfriend that is dealing with some type of mental illness. It is not an easy thing to deal with because men, we are not oftentimes the emotional <laughs> expressive individual. Right. So um, we are about logically thinking something and then giving you an answer based on our process and our experience and what we think that should be, that could be able to work for you. This is why men sit a long time in the bathroom. I'm just giving y'all some insight. <laughs> this is why men sit a long time in the bathroom. It's because we get most of our greatest revelations in the bathroom. Our understanding of a lot of things comes while we are sitting on the porcelain throne. A lot of, a lot of the processing of this oh day and what we got to do is while we are sitting on the porcelain throne. So it is a process that works for us. We are not the kind. When you tell us something, men, it is said that women can speak a 20,000 uh, uh, 20, uh, words um, 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 a day while men only do maybe a fraction of that. Mm-hmm. Because men, we are not as expressive, but we are more um, logical and we process everything through our thinking. Then we come to you and we tell you what you probably already told us that <laughs> we're dealing with. And we come to you and say, Eureka, I got it. <laughs> the reason I'm upset is because of the fact that the the the, the, I, I, um, the sink is busted. And she was like, yeah. I, I told you that. that to you <laughs> and you'd be like, I, 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 yeah, but but I just figured that out. <laughs> and the reason we do we do so is because so we're, we, we might throw a, a, a fit or a tantrum concerning certain things. And and then eventually, when we process everything, then we come out the bathroom calm, and we tell you this is what it is. Okay, so so you have to understand that if as much as you have your partner here, understand what your partner can contribute, mm-hmm. and what your partner can be able uh, um, to not be good with, 
Yeah. And you might have to just be able to connect with somebody that can yeah. be able to provide that extra Absolutely. support that's going to be able to help. Your husband might not be the one to be able to say, sit there and hug and not say no and be like, and be like, woo woo, woo woo. <laughs> he might not be that person. But guess no. what? You might have to have, you might, there might be a sister and be like, come on, girl, let me give you a hug. Come on. And then she'll hug you. And then she'll be able to be like, it's okay. And be able to cry with you and decide whatever, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Some men, some men are not, I'm not, let me tell you, there are very, very few things that, that gets me to shed a tear. And you, oftentimes it has to do with human suffering. Mm. And it's not always, um, oh my God, look at the kitties and the babies and the kitties and whatever. Oh my God. And, 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 and you think I'm going to, I'm going to look at you like, you all right? <laughs> and that's gonna be that's gonna be my reaction because I am not that person. So I understand mm-hmm. what I can contribute. So there are certain times that my wife may be emotional about something, but I'm not as emotional because mm-hmm. of the fact that my perception of things is a little bit different in how I deal with my emotional. And there are certain things that my wife is like, and I'm crying about my wife's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, you don't, you don't understand this now, whatever and whatnot. And those again, those have to do with things that are like human suffering, those things are very very to the point where like somebody is suffering about something that I'm like, they shouldn't be going through something like that. Right. And and oftentimes, like I said, it's very few things going in between that I have cried about. Um and it's not because of the fact that oh I'm a man, I'm macho, and I've seen on this I gotta go punch a punching bag and I say no just to like, you know, and to get it out, um, to emotionally deal with what I'm dealing with. But again, it's a difference in what we understand uh, uh how a, a man may be able to contribute not saying to that and how a woman is and there are some men that are very emotional at the mm-hmm. drop of a dime they'll cry um about things and so on and so forth and they'll cry with you and you might have that friend that may be that and so on and so forth and whatnot and again that might be that person you that lean on and you might be the person that you call on and say hey this is the and you cry on the phone and then they'll cry with you and allow they allow you to be able to um to pour out not saying no um, um, your, 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 your emotional, um, um, uh, uh, overflow, your emotional overflow, and they'll, they'll allow you to be able to also pour that out and be able to cry it out and they'll cry with you. And, you know, and then by, by the time you come out of that, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you feel a lot better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I want to say thank you guys both for joining and sharing your experiences with me. And, um, I hope that, you know, whoever watches this, you know, be able to get something out of it. Because I feel like, you know, that, that that was my whole point of doing it. Is like I want somebody to be able to watch this and realize, one, like Talia says, not that they're not special. <laughs> I understand where she's coming from with that. Mm-hmm. But just understand you're not alone. Yeah. Um, that there are people who are going through the same issues, you know, and... Um, can you just remind me again, like, what was that site that you said, Talia? Um, uh, for the therapy talk yeah. space. Talk space. Yeah, like, so there are avenues that you can go and, and get help if you need to. Um, you know, I, I'm i never going to be the person to tell people to call me at 3 o'clock in the morning because my phone's always on vibrating <laughs> during the day. So I might miss that call. Um, but, you know, I, I understand, you know, being able when I do get that call or when somebody's there to be present and, you know, take away my own judgments and what I think is going to fix everything and just allow people to be able to, you know, express and whatever. And if they do need my two cents, you know, whatever. But if not, just be able to kind of direct them if I can to whoever can. Um, but thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Love you guys. <laughs> thank you for having me. 
Thank you. Yeah, thank Have you a good one. And we'll talk soon. Okay? Ready? All right. All right. Bye. Bye.